Hi, everyone, and welcome to episode number 237 of The Freelancer Show. This week on our panel, we have Jonathan Stark. Hello. And Philip Morgan. Hey, hey. And I'm Ruben Lerner. And this week, we have a special guest return of the, I don't know, of the four of the four panelists. Uh, we have Curtis McHale. Hello. So, Curtis, for the folks who don't remember you and your various escapades on the show and amazing things you do, Tell us about yourself. So I have been building websites for about 10 years now, specifically e-commerce and membership websites. And uh, I was on the podcast for a number of years now. I had to look back to figure out exactly how long. And I also do uh, business coaching uh, as well to help technical people not do dumb things, I suppose is the shortest version of it, but get more clients, land better proposals, uh, stuff like that. Excellent. And you have a new book coming out soon, right? I do, called Finding and Marketing to Your Niche. And it'll be out on January 24th. Well, it came to the right place. What a, what a silly <laughs> idea. So why don't you give us a little background on the, the, like, what, what, what led you to write the book and who do you think it's aimed at? And I, I assume the broader the audience, the better. <laughs> the broader the uh, Absolutely. Uh, I know Philip is totally on board on the <laughs> biggest audience you can get. That's right. Uh, that's, actually, the book started off as an entirely different, as an update to an entirely different product that I already have out called Effective Client Email. And the more I wrote it, the more I realized it was, I, I was doing like the whole broad audience, make this as big as possible. And it wasn't really going to fly that way. So I pulled it out and um, yeah, just wrote a book on marketing because looking around at most people's work, most people's sites and how they interact with their prospects. It's terrible. That's what it is. They are, they substitute good work for massive action, right? So instead of having, you know, like I did when I first started, I send out 10 contacts a day on like anything I could get. So Craigslist or the chamber of commerce or anything and 10 contacts a day, I substituted massive action for actually, you know, targeting a small niche or targeting a small set of clients properly. So this book is going to help you do that in all aspects of marketing. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from The Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. Excellent. Do you have a, uh, I'm guessing since what you, your lead in was that you help technical people with business coaching, is this marketed to them, this book specifically? Absolutely. For people? Okay. Yeah. Cool. Yeah. It's marketed towards typically the technical people. And how do you, how do you, I mean, we've talked about this, you've probably talked about it before when you're on the show, but how are you now and how do you advocate in the book? Someone goes from, from, you know, one week they're helping an animal shelter and another week they're helping a pizza place and the week after that they're helping a plastics manufacturer. How do they look at the sorts of clients that they've worked with and pick one to focus down on? Or, or do you even recommend focusing down on something other than a market vertical? You say there's two different ways to do it, right? Focusing in on like, I'll only work with carburetor shops or um, I work with e-commerce or I'm going to move move more towards membership sites next year or this year, I guess since it's 2017 already. Uh, I'll be focusing that more down onto membership sites and retaining your members. 
Um, and, and I don't discriminate as much on the specific uh, market vertical. Uh, but in general, it's the same process of what did I like, who do I like working with, and who can I help, right? So if you've helped, you know, four or five restaurants, then continue to target your market towards that if you liked the work. If you didn't, then, you know, maybe tweak it slightly to use them as case studies um, or examples, but then find that that vertical. And when you say market, do you mean cold calling? Do you mean adjusting your website? Do you mean online advertising, some combination of the above? Uh, adjusting your website is probably <clears throat> it's one of the big things you need to do. Um, so you look at most technical people and they've got a, like, the homepage is just a blog typically and the client has, the prospect would have to like dig through it to figure out what on earth they could maybe help me with. Um, so adjusting your homepage. So it targets like the single problem that you can solve. Uh, so if you looked at my coaching site, it says um, get more leads and turn them into clients, which is I guess technically two problems because I used and in the middle there. And yeah. uh, yes, was that Philip? Uh, Philip and I are both anti-conjunctions, although... uh, I was going to say, I just read it off one of your email lists, I think, this week, which is why I thought of it as I said it just now. We take turns. It's Jonathan's issue on odd weeks and mine on even. We're we're, we're both really against it. (laughs) We've got custody of the conjunctions thing. Joint Joint custody. custody. So yeah, after, you know, you don't have a conjunction, uh, it'd be like having a good call to action uh, of some fashion, whether that's jump on the email list or some sort of lead magnet, right? The five mistakes that people make with membership sites. Um, Some testimonials, videos are great. Uh, And the book has, uh, I think it's five, six questions uh, to walk someone through for video testimonials that I use with my clients uh, on my development business. Uh, And that turns out awesome. Uh, They've turned out really good uh, for me. And they've been fun to do. That's the big thing. They've been really fun to do. Um, and then it also lays out, like, if, you, if you're starting marketing, where do you even start, right? So what's marketing level one? And when you have some more time, when you're used to it more, what's the level two? What do you do? What if you absolutely need clients, like, in the next three weeks? What's the first thing you do? So, mm. so that, You just raised a, a bunch of good uh, sort of topics that we could dive into, but I'll selfishly jump in with uh, asking if you could talk a little bit more about videos, because that's something I've never done from a marketing standpoint. So I'm curious how you do them, how much work they are, how effective they are, how you measure the effectiveness, so on and so forth. So uh, how much work they are, it probably depends partially on you. If you decide that you're not going to do a bunch of work, say editing wise, then don't do it. I usually chat with the client a little bit. And then we'll pause for a couple seconds once we've introed and they've, you know, they're familiar with the questions. We've talked about them a little bit. And then at the end, we pause again for a second. I just trim the beginning and end and put it up. Um, You certainly could do something more if you wanted, uh, but I don't because I don't want to do the work. Now, is this in person or over? Over video. Yeah. And I live in a little town, 60 miles or 100 kilometers east of Vancouver, British Columbia. I have almost never... I've never worked for a, say, a quote unquote real client that's in my area. I worked for a friend who needed his website up real quick for his elect, for his electrics business so that his customers get his phone number easy, but that's it. Yeah. Um, all of my clients so are I, international. I, so I don't quite understand what are these videos, I guess I figured they were sort of for public consumption, but they're not right. They're, they're for the, the specific clients. No, no, they're, 
There totally are. So at the end of a project, I ask a client um, seven questions since I got them in front of me now. One of them is, what fears did you have before we started the project? Because everybody's got fears when they start the project. Many people have had a software project that totally failed and the developer took some money and like never showed up again after doing a little bit of work, right? That's the fears. Number two is, what challenges did you face as you looked for a service provider? So I know with one of my recent ones, she basically said, all the developers I talked to talked like nerds. I had no idea what they were saying. Right. And I was one of the ones who would say some nerdy stuff. And I'd be like, but you don't care about any of that. This, you know, this big, this technical thing that I kind of talked through for my own benefit means this for you. Right. Number three is how did my firm address these uh, fears and challenges? Uh, and so in that one, she said, you, you talk a little bit of nerd, and then you'd say, you don't care. This is what it means for you. Uh, and then she also cited that we do a Tuesday call um, with my clients every week. And she said, so she always knew if there was a problem, we talk on Tuesday and she's like, and after the first problem and the, it was totally addressed on Tuesday in, thir- in 30 seconds, I just waited for Tuesday if there's something we were, you know, not meshing on over project management. Uh, fourth is how did you feel the bumpy patches of the project were handled? Cause they happen, right? At some point in almost every project, there's a miscommunication uh, of some type because there's always three things said, what you thought you said, what you actually said and what they heard and um, how you dealt with those. And again, that's where that client cited the Tuesday calls. Uh, which parts were better than expected? Would be question five. How did working with us and help increase your revenue or save time? And this is where you take and you show that there's actual tangible benefit um, that you're offering. Uh, so this is when the prospects are think, am I going to get benefit out of this? We talked about, you know, how we even uh, went through analyzing, will there be benefit for my client? And then wh- why would you recommend working with us to a colleague? Not would you recommend? Because that lets them say yes. Why? gets them to actually say why they would and dig a little bit deeper. And watching those videos um, can help your prospects um, just really see some of their own problems in there, right? Because they've talked to other developers and that talked like nerds and they have no idea what they're saying either. Mm-hmm. Um, they've talked to other developers that just said yes to every project, everything that they said, oh, of course, sure, we can do that and we can start tomorrow. And I'm sure we can do a better price than that. And say one recent client said, when you said, when I sent them an email and I said, oh, here's my call schedule. They said, but it's not for two weeks. And I said, Yes, that's correct, right? And she said, okay, well, I guess I have to wait. She said, even from that standpoint, saying he was, yes, you'll have to wait then. Um, and when she asked for some features, I said, that sounds like a terrible idea, and here's why, and told her why. And she's like, everyone else told me to do it, or said, just said, yes, I'll charge you this much for it. And I said, that's a bad idea, and could explain to her why. Um, yeah, so that's what I really see in the video testimonials, um, video case studies, whatever you want to call them. And I, that's why I think they're so much better. And they're also... Uh, higher trust velocity, right, Philip? Because you're actually seeing mm-hmm. the interaction, you're hearing the voices, same with like a podcast, it's higher trust because mm-hmm. uh, you get to hear the mannerisms right now, right? In a video you see as I'm like shaking my hand around, which I you can't see in the podcast clearly. Um, so you get to see those type of things. I know. I, I, well, what proportion of your, oh, sorry. I was going to say, as you were listing out those questions, which I think are fantastic, I was thinking um, there's, like, like you're asking some tough questions, of, of your clients who you've completed a project with, you know, successfully. And I just, I can't imagine how powerful that must be, or I can, it must be very powerful for a prospective client to be like, Oh my gosh, this guy is not going to give us, you know, let us do something that's a mistake or, um, you know, he, he's able to de- he's like able to be an adult <laughs> in a project and basically to have your clients say that about you. I mean, yeah, you're there. So yeah, there's a little bit of, question whether they're being 100% honest, but compared to a written case study, I think that's got to be way more powerful. Is that your experience? And, yeah. and do you ever make clients squirm Absolutely. with those questions? Right. 
me squirm? No. Um, I have had some clients, and I, and I suppose sometimes you have to gauge them if it's really terrible because we have we have projects that fail. I've had projects that were not that have failed or just not been stellar. Um, I still try to go through these, even sometimes, even if the client says, I do not want to have a video of me, uh-huh. I'll say, well, can we just go through the questions anyways? Cause this will help me run a better business. And generally out of that, they also feel better because we've talked through their problems again, mm. and they are more likely to give a referral as well. But it's good for you just to know like, where did I mess up and how could I do this better? And so they might be <clears throat> tweaked a little bit there where I say, how do our firms address the challenges? And they said, or what did I do with the bumpy patches? And they said, well, you didn't really do that much this time. Right. Mm-hmm. And we talk through it and we figure out why. Um, Cause everyone makes some mistakes at some point. It's how you handle the mistakes you make that shows your character. That's great. I think this is all amazing in, in so many ways. I'm curious to know how, like what proportion of your clients do you do this with? And I mean, and, and of those, how many do you actually put up on your website? But I can imagine these are incredibly powerful testimonials. Mm-hmm. So this last year, I did it with a, a few. I did uh, the questions with everyone I could. Um, some people just said no, or the schedules didn't work out right. We had a baby part through the year, and so we missed one in there. Um, and then we had a death in the family just before Christmas, so we missed one in there as well. Um, this year, I've actually had low success at getting the videos up because the people have not been liking it. Um, but I found the questions super beneficial anyways. If I was doing a podcast with my business as well, um, with my uh, development side of the business, I'd absolutely be putting them in the podcast if they didn't want video, but they'd agree to voice. I'd be doing it that way. Wow. Do you have a particular way that you op- sort of broach the subject and, and when I know I get this kind of question a lot because I advocate asking for referrals and people always want to know at what point in the project or after the project, do you do that? And exactly how do you say it? Because I'm really uncomfortable, you know, kind of, feel like I'm at, you know, begging or I don't want to appear desperate or, you know, like they, they really want a script because it's not the kind of thing that they're very comfortable with. Do you, do you have a particular thing that you say and when do you usually say it? So I usually ask it in one of my last Tuesday calls with them. When I say, like we've been having video calls all the time, and I say, hey, next Tuesday, I'd love to recap the project, uh, how it went. And I'd like to talk to you about some of the issues that we've had. I usually love to record these because... Um, I'll use them for testimonials. Are you okay with that? And I'll send you the question so that you can prep, have time to prep for it. That's how I uh, approach it because I do a call with them every Tuesday. Nice. And I think that I think that Tuesday call, if you're running a business, that Tuesday call um, with your client is crucial to just making project go so much smoother. Like I said, every time you have a problem, you have a chance to talk about it. And it's amazing what you know, looking at someone via video can how much that can change um, the relationship, right? Yeah, absolutely. Cool. Uh, so you mentioned s- s- there's sort of, I mean, the title of the book is Finding and Marketing to Your Niche. So is there more to finding it, fi- finding, I mean, is it finding or picking, really? Like, do you, how much do you go into that early phase? Because I know, I know from, especially from talking to Philip that, who coaches people on this, that people really panic at that stage. They don't, they don't know. They're like, well, I've had one of every kind of customer and I'm sort of good at, I'm a full stack web developer. I can do anything for anyone. And, and they just have no clue where to start. Do you have, I mean, you mentioned some things earlier, uh, but do you have more 
uh, you could give people in that regard? Yeah. So the beginning of the book only talks a little bit about why you need a niche, because if you need convincing, I'm not sure that a book is going to like, you know, even like a hundred pages in a book is going to turn you from, nope, I'm too scared to absolutely I'll do it. I think you probably need something else. Um, so in the book, there are five, six questions and they are, what type of projects have you liked in the past? So there's always going to be projects that you had fun with and what were they? And why were they fun? Was it because of the technology you got to work with? Was it because of the type of work you were doing? Say, I don't know, helping helping get more members or, you know, helping increase sales? Or was it the technical challenge? What was the client like as well? Right, is another thing to look in there. Was it, was it a, say, a small business? So you only want to, you want to target down to small businesses under, you know, where you're getting to talk to the owner, where it's not like some 500 person business. Uh, for instance, for technical evil, were there any technology that you enjoyed? enjoyed particularly working in there um what are you good at so where are your strengths and those some of those tie in together to get some certainly get some repeats in there and then out of those things that you're good at what do people actually need right because like my wife's awesome at crochet but she's probably not going to turn into crochet business Mm because she just can't do it in fact she can't produce it at scale fast enough to support life in north america right um so what do people need is a big question and also, I like to ask what scares you, because fear is a crazy thing, uh, but it's often showing you where you need to dig in deeper. You're afraid of it. So again, with picking your niche, you just, you're afraid of it because you think it's going to be a bad thing because uh, it's going to limit you so much and it doesn't. Um, but digging into what what has made you afraid, what's made you um, kind of push yourself and grow. And then I also like a sixth question is what do you want your life to look like in the next five years? Because defining your niche, Niches all tied up into that. Um, if you're picking a niche that has you continually needing to be at email all day, every day for support, and you say one of your five-year goals is freedom, they don't match up. So you need to tie it into that. And then ultimately, it's a process as well, right? <laughs> you're not just going to pick the niche day one and then you know, not have to look back at it. I have been at this for the better part of 10 years, and I still refine my niche regularly. As Ruben said, since he last looked at my site, I, I've tightened it down. I've tightened it down probably two or three times since last August. When I went to a course, when I did a big revamp just after that, and I kept tightening it down. What was the process for you, Curtis? Like, did you start out generalist WordPress developer, and then what were the one or mm-hmm. two or three steps after that? I absolutely started general word general WordPress developer. If you actually notice, my business is called SFN Design because at one point I thought I could design. I cannot. My five year old does a better job than I do. <laughs> um, so I'm kind of stuck with the name in some respects. I suppose I could if I really wanted to reposition it, but I'm not going to at this point. Um, so I started off saying design and then I realized I wasn't a good designer because I'd look at what I did and clients would be happy and I'd be like, I am just not happy with that. It looks terrible. It's not even like approaching close to what I want it to be. Um, and I realized that development, I was really enjoying that. And I just kept, it's okay, so I'm going to do development. I'm going to build, if someone hands me a Photoshop document, I'll build the site and that's it. <clears throat> and then I stopped even advertising that I will do that. And now I do end up doing some of that as I build out stores for people. Um, but that's not what I advertise on. I advertise on being able to, to, um, like, help, I guess, help you have a good store. Um, also do like optimization sometimes, but I don't advertise that I do speed optimization for your store. I advertise, right? I will tighten down more and more on the marketing thing. That's the process my biz- development business went through. Um, the big revamp that my coaching site went through basically had me looking at all the coaching stuff I was doing and saying, I know all this. I tell people to do all this. I've just been too afraid to do it myself in, the own, in my coaching business. So I just told myself to stop being afraid and start doing it 
I'm curious if the uh, the e-commerce stuff that you're doing is uh, you know revolves at all around WordPress or that's like because so I remember for a while like uh, when you're on the show you were doing e-commerce websites using WordPress and now like if you're doing e-commerce speed ups it's not only using the WordPress platform is it oh it is oh it is interesting it is yep I pretty much predominantly work with WooCommerce which powers something like 28 percent of all online stores. Right, and WordPress powers twenty seven percent of the entire web right now. The top million sites on the web, or wherever the number works. So there's tons of work out there uh, for a decent, you know, say higher price consultant. How many clients do you need a year? Four, six, maybe. Right. That's how many clients I need a year if I was solely going on the development side? Four to six clients. That's it. So I need four out of all those, you know, thousands and thousands and thousands to have a budget and find me and trust me, so that they so I can help them uh, have a better business. Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Conf. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance, and bringing in some of the experts from The Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com. Let's talk about that. Clients finding you rather than you finding them. Um, but what do you think works best in that that broad category of inbound marketing? Um, I think that at the base level, you need to start writing on your site and have an email list. Those are the two real basic things. Write on your site once a week and email it to the list at the very basic level. Um, after that, you can start looking at ways to broaden your reach by, and as a developer, you may look at helping out some of the technologies you use, right? Because I have been around long enough and helped out, say, many of the e-commerce or membership platforms. I know the owners of them. And so the owner support team specifically sends me leads because I also know the support team as well. Um, or getting on podcasts is another way to get out there, Right. Having other people on your podcast, if you're running one, is another way to get them to help advertise for your for your services. How many of your clients actually come from your mailing list, though? Because your mailing list, I mean, is is at least the, the the one I've read is aimed at people wanting to improve their consulting business. So, do you have a separate email list for people who want to improve their e-commerce sites? Uh, I do. I haven't been using it very well, though. Uh, I probably should be. Uh, in years when I have used it well, I've picked up one or two clients. So out of four, like 50% of my clients have come from my blogging or my email list, right? 50% of my revenue from that. Mm-hmm. And I think, you know, writing a blog post a week is worth, you know, fifteen or $20,000 for one client. And an email list is worth fifteen or $20,000 for the other client. Right. right. So because like I said, we don't need like 100 clients, right? If you're selling a product, yes, you need, you know, hundred or a thousand people to purchase it. But if you're selling services um, like that, the higher price stuff, you only need six, maybe that's it. So if your email list brings in one or two projects a year at your average price point, it is a successful email list really because it built the trust. And it's going to take longer to build the trust of those higher price services as well. Right. You don't just throw up a Facebook ad and then send them to, you know, purchase something from you at $20,000 you put up a Facebook ad and have like some sort of lead magnet, the five, the five mistakes you make when you build a membership site or five ways to retain members or something like that. And then that builds the trust 
And then maybe you have a little bit higher priced, say book or something, and then you move them into your consulting services. Yeah, preaching sure to the choir here. So do you find that there I are figured. Different, yeah. Do you find there are different marketing techniques that you advocate depending on the kind of niche the person picks? So, you know, if somebody specializes horizontally on like, you know, Rails or uh, Shopify or something like that versus, you know, what what marketing tactics would you recommend for someone who uh, has chosen that versus someone who's chosen like dentists or pizza places? I'm not sure. You, if you're doing on Rails, then you're probably answering different questions, right? Uh, it might be like, I'm a, you're having this problem with your Rails site. Here's what I can do for it. The dentists, they don't care about Rails. <laughs> they want to know, basically, they want to know how they're going to, you know, make get more clients out of it, how they're going to serve their clients better. And so those are the types of questions you answer um, with all of your marketing material. If you're going really local, then you want to get out and speak. In fact, if you just need clients now, go shake hands with people in some fashion, because that's the fastest way to build trust and to get them to hire you. Meaning like go to meetings of gatherings of yeah, yeah. people in the vertical you want to service. Have you done that? Uh, I have. Um, it seems kind of weird doing... to me. I... Like, I mean, just sort of going to, I don't know, a dentist convention, for example. I don't know. We somehow always talk about dentists. And, <laughs> and like, like, if I were to go there, what, what would I say? You would ask them about their business. How's business? And How's business? They, what are the problems you have? But wouldn't so. they think it's weird that I'm a non-dentist at this dentist conference? No, you know that thing they do, Reuven, at uh, at certain Jewish weddings where they carry you on a chair. They they would, <laughs> yeah. they would do that with you once once they realize that you're actually a not trying to sell them something, b interested in their problems, and c possessed of some knowledge that could really help them. Uh, they will, I mean, almost they'll figuratively, you know, carry, hoist you on a chair and carry you around. It's, that's, I mean. But I am trying to sell them something, no? Uh, well, I, I remember years ago going to a Rails conference as a designer when I thought it was a designer. And the fact that I said I did design stuff, like all the developers like, seriously, can we talk to you, please? <laughs> yeah. Right? And it was totally like a super tense mountain west. Is that what it's called? I don't remember. So. It was like a super technical conference. I didn't even understand half the stuff that was there, right? It was talking about like basically un taking apart the engine of Rails while it's running and putting it back together in an entirely different configuration. It was like the basic <laughs> topics. <laughs> I was like, I have no idea what this is about. But so right, I was was I there to sell stuff? I was there to learn a bit and to network and to meet some people and talk about the problems they had in their design with the design of their apps and their stuff, and that yielded um, like I got to meet people that I still talk with today. Proven, uh, yeah, I mean, it, oh. yeah, in the back of your mind, you want to sell something, I suppose, but you, you don't even know if the person you're, you, you don't really know that when you strike up the conversation because the person you're talking to might not be a good fit. So, so yes, maybe you want to get some business out of the networking event, but the conversation that you're having, you really don't know if you're trying to sell that person. And you, I, my favorite book about this particular situation is uh, Book Yourself Solid by Michael Port, because I think he's got the best bedside manner of any of the sort of famous consulting uh, educators, where he's just like, look, you know, identify who your ideal customer is and go to a place where they hang out and 
talk to them, you know, how's business? What are the biggest problems you're facing? Just be genuinely curious and an active listener. And if it, if all of a sudden you're like, oh man, I've got a cast for this guy's broken leg. You say something like, you know, we don't have to talk about this right now, but I just want to let you know that you are my ideal client. And, you know, I've got exactly the kinds of things that you're looking for. I've got the solution to the problem you have. We don't have to talk about it right now, but, you know, we should set up a phone call maybe next week to talk about, you know, the possibility of working together. And hopefully you've got, you won't do that unless there's a report. It's like a more natural sort of courtship thing instead of like walking up to one person after another speed dating being like, hey, you want to jump in the sack? You know, it's very, <laughs> yeah. very different. Now, Tim Ferriss talks about advertising his first book, The 4-Hour Work Week at South by Southwest, and he figured out that I should probably go talk to bloggers, and he just went to the blogger lounge and asked them questions. When he didn't understand stuff, he'd say, what, do you, what is this Rails thing? Oh, okay. And he said, in almost every conversation, someone would say, okay, why are you here again? Because he clearly did not know what, like, he was not technical like a lot of the people were at that time. And they'd say, oh, I wrote a book. And they'd say, oh, okay. And some people would leave it, and some people were like, well, what'd you write the book about? And tell them what the book was about. And they'd say, oh, oh that sounds really interesting. And then, he, then he'd say, hey, I'd love to send you a copy. It's going to come out in a few weeks. I can highlight the four or five patches I really think that you would like. And I'll send that copy to you if you'd like. And they'd say, sure. That's how he got like some big names to advertise for his new book that you know everyone else would have died to get. He just went in and asked a whole bunch of questions, was generally interested in what they were talking about so he could learn about the industry in general. Very interesting. So, Curtis... Here's, let me throw a problem on you, an evergreen problem. Um, website designers, builders, software developers often feel like it's either impossible or just way, way, way difficult for them to talk about anything other than code, basically, or <coughs> the nut, nuts and bolts, <coughs> excuse me, <coughs> or the nuts and bolts of what they do. So how can... Uh, people like that create marketing that is interesting and maybe even valuable to their clients. I mean, you mentioned one specific idea, like the lead magnet, five mistakes to avoid. Got anything else along mm -hmm. those lines that, you know, easy tips for, for people to make their, their marketing more interesting or, or valuable. Yeah. I think with everything you think of, right. Also there's in WordPress, they just released the JSON API and that's great. And you guys may know what that means, but none of your clients care. What they care about is what? Data portability then, right? You have a bunch better data portability. And so that's maybe you'd start talking about the JSON API because you're interested in, it, in the frame of data portability to your clients, right? Then you're not locked into things. Have you been locked into a CMS before? Well, you won't with the stuff I use. Right? Or I think that's always any time you start talking nerdy, is remembering you're talking nerds. I had a great friend that used to do this to me all the time. He'd stop me partway through a conversation and be like, dude, I have no idea what you said for the last five minutes. All I heard was I'm a big fat nerd. So what computer should I buy again? <laughs> and he'd say, what computer should I buy again? And I'd be like, okay. And I'd tell him what he should buy instead, right? Um, so that was great training for me to realize, to snap myself out of it. Because I still do it. I'll be on a client call and I'll start kind of, you know, spitballing an idea with myself. And then I'll say, hey, and I understand you may not follow this. I'm just thinking through it out loud for a second. And they'll, oh, okay. And at the end I say, okay, what I just talked about, it means you can do, right? So I talked about how the user capabilities work in WordPress mainly through my head. What that means is, yes, I can do what you want. Yep, it sounds like it's a plausible idea. Um, here's the possible the problem in that. And I'm not sure off the top of my head if I can solve that problem yet, but I can get back to you on that idea. Mm. And I would write it down so I can get back to them on it. 
You know, it's funny that you've mentioned now a few times that, um, you know, you sound, you sound like a nerd and like, I mean, I'm not in general, but like you can and talking this technical stuff and the, and the clients don't care, which sounds to me then like your, your clients are generally non-technical people. And I have often found that doing projects, um, like it is so much better working with non-technical people than technical people. Um, I, I think Jonathan, you've touched on this in the past where like, if I go to a computer company, if I go to a high tech company or a startup, they're all sort of, uh, I don't know, feeling uh, worried that I'm going to take their work, that I'm going to show that they're not smart, that they're not good. And so there's definitely a sort of reticence to have me come in and do technical things. Whereas if I'm with non-technical people, they're like, oh, wow, you're solving our problems. That's amazing. Yeah, yeah. The thing with technical people, though, is you need to get them on your side, right? Or be on their side. I filled in for a company for a while and I got very tight with the developer that was there and I found out what their pain points were in the whole process and I said do you want me just to tell them this is a bad idea for you because they hadn't listed they were like please and so by the end of me working with them for like two months they were like they could say things because I just kept backing up everything they say right and say I heard that you've talked about this or I saw some code like this we should really do that instead I'm pretty sure Bob had that idea already though I'm just repeating it for him because it's a really good idea and you should listen to him that's a really good point uh, another thing that I do that that reminded me of is is true. If you do have to work with technical people on the project, you have to get them on your side, or they'll probably undermine you. And that that's a great that uh, what you just said, Curtis, is a great example. <clears throat> another one I do is to praise the developer to their boss. So I, I did this recently. Somebody wrote just a really really nice like chunk of javascript it was real i was expecting it to be a mess because it was a really hard thing that we were trying to do and she just wrote a like a really elegant javascript file and i was like you know what that is you should print that out and frame it that is like a great file <laughs> and i mentioned it to the boss i was like you know she's doing a really good job on on some of this stuff this stuff's hard and she's just you suffering in silence and just cranking out good work and I got the I got the impression that she might have teared up on um, because like only developer in the organization and who, nobody knows what she's doing. You know, like nobody has respect for the level of craftsman craftsmanship or craftspersonship she's putting into this stuff, like the care and and uh, you know what I mean? And and just not getting any kind of pat on the back. And so I, I love that point. I'm glad you brought that up. I think that's super important. Yeah, and that's your job anywhere, right? As I'm coaching one um, person and she's working kind of out of her big fortune fortune 50 job into consulting and she's you know struggling with her boss there. And I said, what does your boss want? What will make them look amazing? And I said this like eh, probably in November. And by the end of November, she's like, my boss loves me now. Like, what'd you do? <laughs> I just made him look amazing three times. That's it. That's all I did. <laughs> and she's like, that was like the best advice ever. I like my job again. Like, Good. That's awesome. That's what your clients want. Your clients just want to look amazing. They want to, right? And I revamped a whole membership site for homeschooling uh, kids and reading and stuff. And like we cut, the big thing is we made the site look way more standardized. It took away half the things that she, crazy things that she could do with her site. Um, but we made it look way more standardized. We made it look better and all. And we made the whole checkout process look really nice and work really well. And then brought in a whole bunch of other membership features that were kind of spread around through different systems into one system. And at the end, she's like, this is so much better. And the people were saying, this is, this is great too. It's actually funny. My wife, 
I didn't know this. My wife was looking at purchasing their products before and then she found out I was working for them and she's like, what did they do? And I made her wait until we revamped the site. And once she revamped the site, she's like, oh, that's what they do and bought right away. But she couldn't tell with their old version. So we just made her products look awesome, made the site look good. And then and on the other end on her staff end, made it easier to use. And so all the nerdy stuff, I'd say, hey, we're going to do this, 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 and this. And all that means is you don't have to enter data six times. You can enter it once and it'll be everywhere you wanted it to be. Oh, I didn't even know you could do that. Well, that's good. And there's a numerous times through that whole project, I'd be like, you're doing what? No, we don't do that anymore. This is how it works, right? I'd skip through the nerdy stuff and say, you're going to enter data in one spot and we will come up in all these other spots. I can't believe you're doing it. Are you doing anything else twice? Please let me know because you should not have to do that. I like that sort of habit that you that you have adopted where you'll allow yourself to kind of think out loud to yourself but you've got the maturity to catch it and and then kind of reframe it so that the person doesn't feel left out of the conversation you're having with yourself. Uh, yeah, I'll even a, say that in my initial client call sometimes. They're like, tell me about yourself. And I'll say, I talk out loud. So I'll probably, say nerdy, I'll probably say nerdy stuff that you don't get. I don't expect you to get it. If I forget to come back, say, hey, you talk like a nerd and I'll come back and, ref- and tell you why, why I was talking about it. Yeah, that's nice. We all forget sometimes. And they usually laugh and they say, oh, okay, you're one of those. Yeah, okay, that's fine. But it starts off the conversation with them laughing and smiling about it, right? Same reason I'll sometimes say when I know someone's like, oh, sorry, and they bump into me at the store. You know, I'm not nearly as mean as I look. We're okay. And they all <laughs> smile. Oh, okay. And they laugh and it lightens the mood. And sometimes you just talk in the line then, right? In the grocery line because of one, you know, fairly innocuous comment that lightened the mood slightly. You talk to people in public. What kind of neckbeard are you? I know I'm not a neckbeard. That's the problem. If I was a neckbeard, my wife uh, just told me I can't, she wouldn't kiss me anymore, so I got to keep it trimmed short. <laughs> Humor is goes a long way <laughs> towards uh, smoothing things over and opening people up, doesn't it? It absolutely does. Yep, and just being willing to make light of yourself, right? And that's what I'm doing. I'm going to say, you know, I'm a big nerd. I'm going to say nerdy things. I'm going to say sorry for it. I'd love to tell you I won't do it, but I'm going to. If I don't tell you what it means, remind me that I'm a big nerd. And they laugh and say, okay, because really that's what they want to hire. They want to hire someone who knows the technical end of it, right? They just, they don't understand it. And telling them about how some great JavaScript API is amazing and all the technical detail about why they should be using it. They don't even have a framework to evaluate the decision. That's what you're for. So tell them what they should use it and why it makes a business sense for them to use it. Right. Yeah. Don't make them feel stupid and, and don't make them feel like they're not in control of what's happening. Yeah, because if they went deep, dark into their industry, you'd probably go, I have no idea what you're talking about, right? There's always some industry we have no idea about. So I don't think that, I think for most people, what I do, what we do is not too hard. It's just they're not interested, so they didn't put in the effort to learn it, right? My friend who's a doctor has no idea about computers, and it's slightly comical because you think, you're a doctor, dude. Like, you can, like, you do surgery and, like, take apart a running body and keep it alive when... And he's like, I can't work my computer, though. Can you help me with my phone? And it's not that he's not smart enough. He just doesn't care. Plus, he's got so- guts on his fingers. <laughs> yes, he does sometimes. <laughs> he's the one person when you say, how is business? And he says, slow. Oh, that's so good. <laughs> he's actually an ER doctor doing emergency stuff as well. <laughs> so we're always like, how is business? I hope it's not busy, right? No, good, good, good. <laughs> that's great. So what are, what are the sorts of problems that you think people typically are going to have them maybe not starting off, but right. You know, so someone starts freelancing and they get a few clients, let's say three to six months down the road. What, what sorts of bumps do they hit? What sorts of issues might they encounter? 
Well, I think a lot of freelancers hit the feast and famine cycle. That's usually because they haven't come up with a good marketing routine and then they get busy and they stop marketing and then they have no clients at the end because they're through the busy time. It's probably the biggest hurdle. And so sticking to the, I will blog once a week, I will email my list, right? And I will, you know, interact with some of my colleagues on social media or in a chat or something like that. Um, that's probably the biggest things. Just keeping, say, the base level of marketing going all the time. And the longer I've been doing this, the more I've been able marketing-wise to handle all at once. But it was not, and at first I didn't even know what I didn't know, right? How long do you think it would take someone to, it, let's say somebody just completely took the advice you give in the book and ran with it as hard as they could. Realistically, how long do you think someone should expect it to take to start to feel some traction or, or like get the sense that the needle is moving in the right direction? And if you jump into the shaken hands part of it right away uh, as the biggest thing to get the business off the ground, then you should see traction pretty quickly. Um, I've had a few people we've recommended to do that, that have like walked, walked out of the first meeting they ever had, like first networking event with work. Um, that may not always happen for you, um, but it certainly can. I know most um, conferences or networking events I go, I leave, I have at least people to follow up with, if not work that comes from it. Um, as far as your content marketing, say blogging, podcasting, stuff like that, that takes a little more while to get traction. That's more in the long tail, right? That's where I have like, uh, I have one technical post I wrote on my site that's like five years old that still gets me clients sometimes. Because they're like, oh, I have a problem similar to that. Can you solve it for me? Because you could solve this other one. So it depends on the, what what you're doing. Sure. I mean, it's good to know, though, that if you're willing to, you know, actually press the fret flesh, so to speak, that you could actually turn some things around pretty quickly. I, I know a lot of people wait until things are kind of dire or or they're in the valley of the famine cycle, the feast famine cycle. And they that's when they kind of snap and they're like, I can't do this anymore. I need to do something right now, but I also need to scramble to keep the lights on. So and that's why if you just set yourself, I'll go to one networking event that's for colleagues and one networking event that's for, you know, possible clients. So like the local business organization, maybe, or the local dentist organization or something. I'll do that every month. I'll show up every month. I will agree to talk to, you know, people I know. I will not be like baby standing in the corner at this networking event hiding. I will be out there. I will be, you know, I'll meet five people. I will send them a postcard after, which is what I recommend taking a lot of it offline if you can, right? Handwritten card or a postcard after saying, hey, it was great to meet you. I'd love to talk about A, B, and C. I'd love to talk to you again, right? And then following with an email a couple weeks after that to actually book a time to talk to that person. Excellent. I think, <laughs> I'd, I'd like to think I have more questions, but I think I'm sort of out at this point. I mean, everything you're saying makes total sense. And and I, I, I think, I think, What's always impressed me about you, Curtis, is that you you seem, at least to me, to be very organized and to be very systematic. And it sounds like what you're saying in the book is also being successful in freelancing means having a system. I mean, you have these Tuesday phone calls. I know you always had your schedule organized very well so that you can talk to clients you know, on a, on a fixed schedule. But it also sounds like you know, sort of looking forward several months you want to think about what sort of networking events do I need to go to over the next year so that over the next year and a half, two years, I'll have a successful business. And that's very forward looking and that's very smart. And I guess it's you know, paid off for you. Yeah, absolutely. And this year I'll be a lot more getting on podcasts, 
um, having more people on my podcast and going out and pressing the flesh. That's my main focus marketing wise this year. And I'll keep up the blogging and the emailing and the other stuff um, this year. Okay. Um, and your book is, I assume, going to be like self-published ebook on your site? Yep. Yep. It's at Curtis McHale slash finding and marketing to your niche. And I'll give you guys the link. So it's in the show notes. Very nice. Curtis, Curtis McHale CA, right? Yes. Did I not say that? <laughs> yes, it is. That's you said, right. You said Curtis McHale, but like, you know, there might be more than one in the world. Perhaps. Yeah. It's possible. I also own .com too. So it'd end up in the same spot. Ooh. Fancy. So we don't have to know you're from Canada. <laughs> Until I say A and talk about like the dog sled I had to drive to work today. That's <laughs> <laughs> um, slow here because of the maple syrup as well, right? <laughs> Has to run through the maple syrup on the way. Yeah, when it gets cold. Yeah. Mm-hmm. For my slow. area, it's like a whole like what thirty one or something, thirty degrees. It's one. It's cold for where I live. Oh, that's Fahrenheit. Okay, I was gonna say thirty degrees. Thirty degrees ain't so cold for the rest of the world. No, I was converting for the Americans, Ruben. Sorry. That's minus crazy. one, minus two. Um, if no one has any more <laughs> <laughs> snarky comments to make about Canada or the metric <laughs> system. Uh, <laughs> we did that last episode. <laughs> that's true. That's true. Um, uh, Philip, you got any uh, picks for us this week? <clears throat> no, I don't. <laughs> I don't know why. I've been, I've been busy moving into this uh, or start kind of preparing to move into an office that I rented in downtown Sebastopol. And so I think. I'll, Have you picked your fuzzy chair before, Philip? No, I just, I don't know if I, I can really in good conscience recommend this uh, chair to others. It's, I mean, it's, it's kind of a weird sort of office chair. Um, I, I don't even know if readers are going to be able to track this, but it's, it's got like about some kind of lamb wool on it. I mean, it's just the most ridiculous looking chair. I, I love it, but I can't quite pick that. Uh, I may have some picks. Uh, I will have some picks next week, but I got to try some stuff. Are you out. sure you're not driving a New York City taxi cab? <laughs> Seriously, <laughs> yeah, that's about it. <laughs> There's these dangling things from the window. Anyway, um, yeah. So no picks this week, but hopefully I'll be back with something interesting next week. Well, I'm looking forward to hear about your new chair purchase. Me too. I believe. Me too. So maybe okay. that. Maybe that. I'll get it here on the 24th. I tell you, I can uh, pick Sonic.net. Um, they are a fantastic internet service provider, and if you happen to be within their service area, you will be um, fortunate to uh, to switch over to them. But they don't really serve much beyond San Francisco and Sebastopol, and I think one other area. So kind of an irrelevant pick, but I do have uh, gigabit fiber at the office. Pretty pretty psyched about that. Wow. I'm going to sound so amazing on this podcast. <laughs> anyway, yeah, that's it. Excellent. Jonathan. Yep, I've got a quick one this week. Uh, I recently got a slow watch, it's called. That's a brand name, slow watch. And you can go to slow-watches.com to check them out. But uh, it is a watch that has one hand that (laughs) the idea is that it gives you the impression of roughly what time it is during the day. But in a I call it a day. It's more like a day gauge. It's like a progress meter for your day where the needle just goes all the way around the dial once every 24 hours. So you 
you know, you know, when the, I know when the needle is way down near the bottom, I really should be in bed. And I know that, you know, around, it's hard to describe, but around the sort of normally six o'clock position, it's, uh, sorry, normally the three o'clock position, it's probably time for me to eat or maybe put the kids to bed. And it's sort of a little experiment I'm doing, but, uh, if it's super rad, I didn't realize that single hand 24 hour watches were a thing, but they are a thing. And uh, I'm sort of experimenting with this one. It's kind of fun. Sounds like a That's super cool, like a sundial yeah, for your wrist. <laughs> yeah, it kind yeah, of really. is. It kind of is. It's, it's like super duper retro, like centuries retro, <laughs> when they only had one hand on clocks. Yeah, yeah. So there, there are actually a couple of different brands. There are maybe three or four I came across. Uh, and the one I got is the Slow Watch, and you can get them on Amazon, but they have a website as well. So. Uh, it's a good quality watch. It's it's nice looking, good quality. It's, uh, just not, I'm not sure I'm going to stick with it. It is definitely bizarre. You know, you look at your watch and you're like, I still don't know what time it is. It's like, oh, wait, that's the point. <laughs> so it, it's kind of cool. Anyway, that's it for me. Excellent. Uh, Curtis, you have any picks? Yes, I do. I am going to pick DevonThink because with Evernote's recent privacy issues and I haven't loved the direction of the company lately, I've been looking for replacement and DevonThink is amazing. Uh, the uh, Evernote has a context feature where we show you other relevant notes, but DevonThink like totally blows that out of the water. Uh, the biggest hindrance to that application is the marketing sucks <laughs> on their site. Um, and they uh, it's got a bit of a learning curve, but I think pretty quick, if you put in just a bit of time, you'll see some of the extra power it has over top of other things like uh, Evernote really quickly. Very nice. Um, so I have two picks for this week. Um, one of them is uh, someone on my mastermind suggested that I watch The IT Gang, which is this uh, British comedy from a few years ago. And I would say it's like, you know, it's a British comedy, so it's kind of broad, but it's about people in the IT department. And they've gotten a lot of the details very right. Um, one of the guys answers the phone by picking up and saying, hello, IT department, have you unplugged it and plugged it back in? And, That's an uh, amazing show. I love it. <laughs> it was, it, I'm, about, I'm about halfway through watching it now, and it's definitely amusing. Uh, the other thing, also watching, but more serious, is, uh, as uh, some listeners know, I've been getting into the whole data science machine learning thing over the last year or two just like one of the most mind-boggling things I've, I've ever learned, and I'm really enjoying it. And so I'm still trying to, as I ramp up teaching it, learn as much as I can about it as I can. And uh, so there's, I don't even know, I don't think he advertises his name, but there's someone at lazyprogrammer.me who calls himself, calls himself, strangely enough, Lazy Programmer. And he has a whole bunch of courses on Udemy. And uh, I've never actually done any Udemy courses, but... The, the ones I've watched so far have been a very, very high quality. Um, so if you're interested in uh, getting to the math and science and possibilities of data science and machine learning, um, he does stuff in Python, and I very highly recommend looking at the Lazy Programmer courses there. Uh, and I guess that brings this episode to an end. Curtis, truly a delight to have you back on the podcast, and uh, good luck with the book and everything else. And I guess we will be back next week. Uh, thanks for listening. And we'll talk to you then. Bye. Adios. Ciao. 
Hey there, this is Charles Maxwood, and I just wanted to talk to you really briefly about Freelance Remote Comp. I'm putting on a conference for people who want to go freelance or who are freelance and bringing in some of the experts from The Freelancer Show to talk to you about how to find clients, how to collect money, how to build your business, how to specialize, and much, much more. So if you're thinking about going freelance or you're already freelance and want to hear from the experts on how to go, become, or grow your freelancing business, then by all means, come check us out at freelanceremoteconf.com.